0: if you combine that with the UK being a highly competitive market. And I would say also when it comes to insurance fraud, definitely one of the leading countries out there. Uh, So yeah, it became kind of a Hail Mary attempt uh, the first time.
1: Well, if you're a regular listener, you may have figured out that just because we have London in the name, that doesn't stop us from talking to people from all around the world. In fact, about one-third of our members are outside of the UK these days. And if you're a new listener, well, thank you very much for checking us out. Matthew Grantia, partner at Instac London. Now, the use of technology for identifying fraud in underwriting and claims is one area where insurers can make direct benefits by reducing costs. Yet overall technology related to claims only gets around 8% of the investment funding. Now, that's probably not something that concerns Jero Morinhof too much. He bootstrapped his company for years before raising funding three years ago, and now there are almost 200 installations of the Frisk software around the world. The company is headquartered in the Netherlands and is now returning to the UK after a false start earlier in the company's history. This is another great founder story with a lot to learn about what it takes to build a company, stay innovative, and stay relevant. Jeroen, it's a great pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, unfortunately, well, unfortunately for this reason, um, we're only on audio because I would have loved to show shown the video of you wearing your orange Netherlands shirt today, but uh, people just imagine you sitting there on this sunny day talking to me wearing orange and i'm very much looking forward to you about learning more about frisk which you co-founded 14 years ago i think today you've got more than over 150 people working for you and when we last spoke you had 182 implementations but i know that's moving all the time so that may have actually increased and your role is really to help insurance companies manage fraud and compliance and I think interestingly uh, both of those in the UK and those outside of the UK you're operating in 42 countries but you've only recently looked at coming back into the UK and we're delighted to have you as a recent corporate member of Insta London so welcome.
0: Thank you Matthew and I'm honored to be here I'm a, I'm a big fan of podcasts anyway but I listen to yours especially when I'm running or on my bike like like yesterday and and I do need to correct you and indeed we're at 184 at this time so uh, we added two since last time we spoke.
1: Well, on that rate, by the time this goes live, it's going to be even, uh, even bigger. Uh, well, great. And thanks for listening to the podcast. And we always like to know what people get up to as well. Uh, fantastic. So just really interested to know what, how the business started. You had your own consulting business beforehand. I know you came across a few challenges. Can you just talk a little bit about how that then led to you founding Friss?
0: The founding of Frisk is really for the love of the industry, I would say. So actually this year, November 1st, marks the 25th anniversary of me working in this industry and and that's an industry that i really got to love actually we recently launched a campaign called insurance is a beautiful thing and that shows let's say the power of insurance and what let's say people can do while using insurance like i'm i moved myself and my family from Amsterdam to Chicago i do all kinds of sports like snowboarding and road biking that is dangerous that we can do and we can take these risks because of insurance and for me, the, what led to the founding is indeed when I was, uh, as a management consulting working with a lot of these uh, insurers, and we were talking about things like fraud. So insurance is, is very much based on the utmost good faith, and, and that allows us to take those risks that I mentioned. And fraud undermines that trust relationship uh, very much. And so that is not just a victim, victimless crime. It's actually paying you, Matthew, and your family, and, and myself, about £700 every year in additional premiums. And for me, that was just wrong. And when I talked to senior leaders when I was a management consultant uh, in the industry, they basically said, yeah, we totally agree with you, but there's not a lot that we can do about it. And uh, so that led for me to the founding of Fris 14 years ago. And now, as you mentioned, proud to serve 184 customers in 42 countries. Uh, But even more so, what for me is important is that we've been able to save over last year across our customers, over $1 billion in, in savings. And I guess that's, that was, for me, the main driver to make sure we can protect the honest customers and bring these savings back to the insurers.
1: Okay, that's an incredible number. So you, you saved people a $1 billion of potential loss, and you certainly proved the, the naysayers wrong when you, you started off 14 years ago. But, I mean, i just could, we just talk a little bit about how you measure that number, because for all companies, particularly when it comes to helping their potential clients see the value of what's been saved it's quite difficult in that sense how, how do you what do you use to define that a billion dollars of saving
0: at first, we offer basically three solutions and that's it's uh, important for because they different have different types of savings with it so one is related to the fraud detection and claims the other one is related to more of the risk assessment and underwriting, and then we have a solution that supports the SIU, the Special Investigation Unit, uh, with their investigation from triage to all the way up to court when necessary. Uh, so when it comes to a fraud and claims, the the savings are related to not paying out claims or partially paying out claims. That could be by because of claims are withdrawn after asking additional questions or because you end up proving that in court that this is actually a fraudulent uh, scheme. And then we typically look at uh, at a reserve and take that as a saving. And the underwriting side, um, not underwriting a fraudulent business is obviously difficult to know what kind of saving you will get from it. Uh, not doing that because you know how much premium you you'll miss, but you don't know how much losses you will miss. And that's, based on historical data and analysis. We can predict what future losses you will get with that customer if you would underwrite it, and those are the savings. And additionally, another so this is all pure on losses. When it comes to benefits for our customers, for the insurers, we're not only looking at reducing loss ratio, but also being able to increase the efficiency for our customers. So this comes to being able to do most of the claims, low or no touch, which increases the efficiency and also obviously increases the experience of the customer at the same time, so these are also additional benefits that our customers have, but that's uh, the, the one billion is especially on the claims and underwriting examples as I just gave you.
1: That's actually really helpful I mean, and, and really useful to, you know, to be able to put some real metrics behind it. I find it interesting that although claims is still I think somewhat underserved, all these technology to manage claims is still somewhat underserved in the market generally it is getting more competitive as more people are coming in with more data and more ways to improve the process so i mean how do you in this sort of competitive market how, how do you stay ahead at frisk with regards to what else is out there or other choices people have
0: I've set out to do this 14 years ago, and as of today, this is still our bread and butter. So this is, we're 100% committed to this industry. We're 100% committed to reducing or limiting fraud happening, preventing fraud or detecting fraud happening to the uh, in- industry. So our life solution are set up to make that impact. And because of that clear focus, we've also we're also set up to be a trusted advisor. We're not just um, installing a technology platform, but we're leveraging the large install base that we have, the the knowledge that that I have in my team. I I have 25 years, but a lot of people in my team have that, that background in the industry. And so that allows us to not just give a great technology with super powerful AI and happy to elaborate on it, but also be that trusted advisor that allows carriers to stay ahead of the curve, always be aware of the latest fraud schemes. And I think that is something that sets us apart.
1: It's very interesting that people plus technology bit you know, for a while in all industries, it seems like the view is that technology can replace people, but the way you're describing it, it sounds to me consistent with what I've seen in other successful businesses, where you, you need both. You need the good technology and you need the people to be able to use the technology and advise your clients.
0: Yeah, that's I totally agree with that. So it's the human intelligence and the machine, the artif- artificial intelligence, and and especially when it comes to fraud, uh, we feel that uh, the the new fraud schemes that are evolving, we're actually not able to uh, detect them automatically. But it's something that the gut feel of an adjuster or an writer is important. We fed all of those referrals, all of those insights into one process, into one repository of of all these cases and then the AI technologies can pick that up, improve upon it, and, and get better over time.
1: I want to come back to that data in a minute, but there's something in there you mentioned that was also interesting. So it sounds like you are not only providing the analytics, but you're providing like alerts or some way for your customers to be aware of new forms of fraud coming out. Is that is that correct?
0: My feel that's, that's completely correct. I mean, the fight against insurance fraud is an ongoing one. It's not like that we... Can put our platform in there have that ai technology run and then think it's all done we check the box and we have a fraud solution so we can move on to the next thing and especially now with COVID, i think you see very clearly that uh, that there are some changes in fraud patterns but that's been going on for uh, for a long time so that's why i also invest a lot of money in our product to be able to learn and pick up on these fraud schemes cross our installed base and deliver that back to our customers so we, we are pushing company-wide to all of our customers. Every three weeks, we're pushing these new insights, new software, but also new intelligence to our, uh, to our customers. It's also every quarter, we are discussing, let's say, the performance of uh, the Frisk platform what what have we learned what have we seen and and we look at what we call the fraud funnel so what are the number of claims or or applications that you have what percentage did we flag how many of them led to an investigation and of those which of them ended up with a saving and all of that in percentages and and in and in terms of money and and by able to look at those uh, these, this fraud funnel and also look and benchmark that with other customers that is something that uh allows us and also our customers to continuously improve on it. Uh, and I guess for me, the best way to show how, how basically our customers appreciate that is that we, we currently run at a negative churn of 109%. And so that, that is a clear indication of that our customers appreciate and value the services that we deliver.
1: And it's a negative churn of 109. That suggests you're actually growing your, is that growing your net client base by I fear the math is too simplistic, like 9% a year. Is that the way you measure that negative churn?
0: Yeah, so yeah, correct. So if you would say, let's say in January 1st, you would have 100 uh, money value of the uh, the revenue of those customers. So typically, if you would have churn, you would go to 95 or 90. If you have negative churn with the same customers, they are spending more money with you. So instead of 100, we ended up with 109. And we, we looked at the at trading 12 months so over the last 12 months over that period of that same customer base we increased our revenue on nine percent of that group instead of that we had a decline
1: well it's a very attractive very attractive business model congratulations and I, w- I want to come back to that point you made about checking in with your customers because for anybody running a business yeah and again this is back to a little bit like i was talking before about the people element to my, my experience has been that checking in with people regularly is really valuable because it's, 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 I always think the greatest conversations happen with clients and partners when there's need, you're neither trying to sell something nor you're trying to apologize for something going wrong it just, it's just in the it's in the diary and you do it and you get some great insights so yeah and that to me I can see why there's lots of reasons why your business is successful and growing but I'm sure that's a big part of it that regular check-in yep and I want to come back to also you talked earlier on I know there are more than just two, but in, in simple terms, you've got the work you help people with underwriting when they're looking at assessing potential fraud, or, or they're just underwriting and they're providing you underwriting information in, in a fraudulent way. And then you've got fraud when it comes to actually paying the claim or putting in a claim that didn't actually happen. Are those, are those, in, in simple terms, are those two the main, two main areas that you help your clients with?
0: So that's correct, yeah. So uh, we originally started on the claims side. So very quickly, uh, I think that was maybe two years after we started, uh, we've added our underwriting solution. And um, it's about 40% of our revenue is with underwriting, 50% is with claims, and 10% is with our SAU case management solution, which is a which is also, um, I would say, not cheaper, but um, uh, a less expensive solution. Uh, So that's why that has a lower revenue, but uh, it's been used by most of our customers as well. And when we're looking at underwriting, we're looking process, as I just mentioned, but we're also looking at other types of, I would say, non-rating related risks. So this could be uh, fast claimers or frequent claimers or a high probability of churn. Uh, So these are all not necessarily in the actuarial models, but based on, let's say, what we know of these customers and what we can find with the external data, we can predict that kind of behavior
1: In terms of examples, what are you seeing just emerging in in sort of more common types of fraud? You mentioned COVID-related ones, but just generally these days, what should people be looking out for?
0: High level, we typically make the distinction between the more optimistic fraud and the more organized crime. And so optimistic fraud is, is very often that there is a kind of a event or a claim, but then they kind of decide to take advantage of it. One day we had, for instance, a uh, a claim which was almost settled, uh, or more or less settled, and then all of a sudden they added uh, uh, what we call phantom passengers, like there were seven passengers in a a Fiat uh, 500, Fiat Cinquecento, claiming all kinds of uh, bodily injury. Uh, So these are, let's say, the genuine events, but then still trying to take advantage of it. With uh, With the more organized fraud, you see that these events are being created, right? So... Then you have these stage accidents, the trip and slips, the crash for cash, and all those that are very well known in the industry, and especially in the UK, they're, they're quite big. And what we've seen there as well, because these organized crime are also doing their market research and also trying to uh, have their ongoing learning cycle, as we've discussed that we have with our customers, uh so you we see them now move to to areas which is what we call less policed so for instance, the travel uh, insurance or pet insurance or commercial lines these are These are industries that it's easier to hide behind the screen or to be not physically injured as you can have with a uh, with a press for cash for instance situation uh, We see that happening more often so a recent example that we had is a somebody that created a fake accommodation and created bookings uh, for that accommodation, built up a website and made it look legit, but then canceled with different insurers, canceled these travel plans and then claimed those against travel insurance. And yeah, uh, the carrier, the insurer typically looks at uh, at that website or uh, tries to understand if this is a legit business, but yeah, not much more. And then we saw a lot of claims actually being paid on that one. And for the froster, this is low risk. Uh, low chance to get get caught, and, and something that you can easily repeat uh, with other, other insurers as well.
1: Going back to another comment you made earlier about data sources. So you mentioned your clients' own data sources. What are, what are the examples of useful data sources
0: out there? We have over 200 integrations with external data sources in our platform, out-of-the-box available and many of our uh, prospects and also customers are interested in, in all those 200 and i'm going to elaborate on that but i also point back to them let's say the internal data is quite unique that care, that insurers have and i think a lot of the insurers are underestimating what the value is and what they actually have so that's something that we can help our, our customers with very uh, well and it's also very important but back to the external data sources there's a lot of, let's say, you could say traditional data sources that we'll be leveraging like uh, claim history data sources, fraud registers, data about the objects, like about the vehicles or the properties or the companies, etc. So all that data is definitely available where we still have some challenges is, uh, for instance, on the permissible use of social media. So we're using that uh, to identify suspicious connections uh, between people, uh, and we're also uh, improving on. Another thing is uh, with classified ads, for instance, so there's a lot of those eBay, Craigslist, or uh, classified ads websites where we can able to find potentially stolen goods. So we see stolen cars or jewelry that are presented on such a website, especially when it comes to, the, that, again, that organized crime, that, uh, that is something that is super uh, powerful. Another big benefit that we see for our customers is like, especially with those more, let's say, uh, common data sources, is that you're also able to change these data sources. So you can have a, a credit check uh, and there are multiple providers of a credit score and by able in, through our platform you could by within a day you can switch from one to another instead of having to go to your own IT department to make sure you get the best price the best quality whenever and every time
1: you're running analytics and you mentioned using ai so you're actually using a decision tool based on on data as well but that, that sounds like two slightly different approaches is that is that how it works in practice
0: yeah, so we use the internal data of our customers. We use the external data integrations that we have so, and that we leverage in real time for our customers. So if the claim comes in, we can search, uh, not all 200 are relevant, but let's say 20 data sources in real time and combine that with the internal data and combine it into one, what we call the Frisk core, one holistic overview of the risk related to that application or claim.
1: Okay, and then the Frisk score is what? Well, that's a sort of score that gives us a relative likelihood of this being a fraudulent claim.
0: Correct. So it is, it's is—it's a transparent score, meaning that it has a score, which is said already, but also what we call a white box uh, score. So we'll see that this is the score. This is the reason why the score is that high. Uh, and this is the underlying data, actually, that provided these insights to create that uh, these findings, and therefore the score is what it is. So that the whole drill down is available, and also available for our customers for the for the claim adjuster to at that on the spot then s- understand what needs to be done uh, and determine what's the best next action to go from from these insights.
1: Okay, well, that sounds incredible. And then I just want to talk a little bit about the UK, so you've now recently decided. I think, to come back to the UK, because you did try here before in your early days. What happened before and, and what sort of... What, how, how have you managed to get more enthusiastic about going back into the, the UK again?
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of an embarrassing story, really, uh, Matthew. So thanks for uh, asking. You know, in 2011, actually, the UK was the first country that we wanted to expand. So we, we kind of made all the mistakes you can make when trying to, to expand there. We didn't hire someone local, uh, but we hired somebody in the Netherlands, whose English was better than mine. So that was was kind of the whole criteria. But that that alone, they definitely not do the trick. And also the fact that our product was not as mature as it is today. And so we we were going in there with the Dutch product. And they would say, well, we'll adapt once we have a first customer. But they, it didn't have any local fraud schemes. It didn't have any local data sources. So, yeah, that was just too big of a, a jump for insurers to make. And we also didn't have the financial backing. So we were, we're still in that bootstrap phase. So we w- went in, but we didn't went all in. And if you combine that with, with uh, the UK being a highly competitive market, and I would say also in, when it comes to insurance fraud, definitely one of the leading countries out there. So yeah, it became kind of a Hail Mary attempt uh, the first time
1: and i'm not quite sure whether the uk being uh the leading country for fraud is is really an accolade that any country would necessarily want to be <laughs> proud of but i'm glad you've uh, you've come back in again and i, I know again, when we spoke before you were talking about you you find you tend to i think when you go into new countries or in new areas start off with sort of the middle sized insurance companies first of all rather than the more established ones is, is is that true and if so you know what's the difference between the different Types of insurance companies you typically work with.
0: We serve let's say tier one to tier four customers. When we go and enter a new country, we typically see that the tier ones are a little bit more hesitant to work with a provider that is not known locally known. So uh, typically, the first carriers that we work with are either tier two or are more the insured tax or innovators in a market that are willing to. I wouldn't say take a risk, but still take more risks and go with the incumbent. And, and if we, if I look now at the, the UK markets, there's still a leading in insurance fraud. So that Aqualad is still there, but I also see that there's, that I see some first mover disadvantages in a in market. We are able to do our in real time, but also, for instance, building, building networks in real time. So there's totally no, any dependencies on any overnight builds. So there's a, there's a couple of things that these, these insurers would definitely benefit from. Typically, we'll go with Tier 2s and 4s before we go to Tier 1s.
1: Okay, thanks. And so just continuing that, that theme about how you're working with the companies, you have got an open platform, at least you describe it as an open platform, I believe, which has actually advantages f- even for those more established companies who might have teams of people that are, you know, might be doing something internally, but you can also open up or provide access to the FRIS analytics to them.
0: Yeah, so we very much believe in uh, an open platform and that's with customers, but it's also with the broader tech space, the, the ecosystem as well. And if you look at, let's say, customers, so what we've seen is that more and more uh, insurers are adding data scientists to their teams. They build great models. So they have, they love, they're sort of kind of a kid in a candy store with all the data that's available. And they, in a lab setting, can show the best models and the best area under the curves, meaning very good models, but they never get them into production. So what we've, what we set out to uh, do is that we created an open platform allowing not only to use our models, but also the models of, of the insurers. So that's, that's a way that we would, let's say, embrace the data scientists within insurers
1: it sounds very smart i mean you, you, rather than go out and try and you know, the terminology that was used a few years ago disrupt the the incumbents you've embraced what they're doing but you're giving them tools to make their lives easier and better i mean i can see exactly why uh you, you're growing so successfully uh and you just going to switch a little bit you mentioned this earlier on but just talk a bit more about your own experience in growing the company. So, you, you, for many years, you were bootstrapped. You're you making the revenue and, and reinvesting in the business, and then you raise money in, in 2017, which, uh, according to Crunchbase, that was 15 million euros. That clearly makes a big difference for an organisation. But could you just talk a little bit about the experience of bootstrap, and then once you've actually had funding, yeah, you know, how, how did that how did that decision come about in terms of your own growth, looking at the growth of the company?
0: yeah so we've been bootstrapping for quite a long time actually and when i do think back about that i do think back of that time with a lot of pressure and 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 so we had a lot of fun and I, if you see what we have been able to create with that limited budget i'm i'm pretty uh, proud of what we did but it sure wasn't all good so i i think there were quite a number of what we call near-death experiences or our monthly struggle to make paycheck or that I had uh, uh, to transfer earnings from my from my other company to to overcome some of the liquidity bumps that we had, so all in all, the bootstrapping phase was fun, but I was also kind of holding back uh, to the the company's reach its full potential. We were pressing the accelerator, but somebody else was pulling the handbrake at the same time so uh, and and I think when we when we make that. Switch to raise that round. uh, That was sort of opening up a lot of the floodgates and a lot of the potential uh, that we had. And I think, to be honest, I I think in hindsight I would have taken external investment earlier uh, if I would be able to do it again. Right? We all live and learn. But because it's not, it's not just that we that, that was holding back the company, but it also gave me a different perspective. When I'm talking to my board or when I'm talking, even before the round, when I was talking to investors about uh, investing in my company, it gave me a totally different perspective of the company, how they look at the company and things that for me now are also common sense or part of my vocabulary now, but we're not were in my bootstrapping day. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, there's definitely a lot of learnings uh, from that.
1: And, and then just a more general question as we come towards the end, the thing that, I'm always fascinated by by people that build their own businesses is how, how do you build a business for that how do you also have time and what techniques do you have to learn what's going on elsewhere because you know, clearly you need to stay relevant with techniques and knowledge what are your sort of recommended approaches to to getting knowledge and and information and in?
0: I'm lucky with a, a very active network of peers that i that I get insights from, so we are actively chatting or and and meeting when that was still possible and to share those challenges as well and I mentioned already when I talk to my my investors but also when with my board I have some, I'm happy we have some experienced not only investors but also operators that think along and and I'm able to uh, to do Last but not least, I, I also love to listen to, uh, to podcasts and read books. When I listen to that, I kind of start or read, uh, I kind of start reflecting on my own business. And that creates that creativity. And, and actually, the uh, yesterday when I was biking and uh, listened to one of your podcasts, I believe, and it was about reinsurance, and it sort of triggered me to come up with a complete new idea about how to package our services with one of our partners, um, Munigree agree? So I guess the the brain of an entrepreneur never, never stops thinking.
1: Well, that's fantastic to know that something I said somewhere has actually led to something useful happening. So I'm really pleased, yeah. pleased to hear that. Uh, well, and i I've asked you a lot of questions. We covered a lot. Is, is there anything I haven't asked or anything you, you want to talk about that you, you'd like to share or that's coming up in the near future?
0: Yeah, so I think maybe one thing that I thought about sharing as well is when it comes to COVID, and, and, and maybe it's kind of a warning, but also sharing some, some expertise, what we always see in fraud during economic crisis. For people to commit fraud, uh, they have to be able to rationalize that this is a good thing, that this is okay because their neighbors or because of that company is making a lot of money. They have to have that opportunity, but also there has to be some kind of pressure and especially currently, the pressure is very high on a lot of people to to make and meet. meet. And I think we see more and more people lose their jobs, businesses that are in trouble, and, and we see a lot of new fraud schemes evolving. And we're happy to elaborate that and share that with our customers. And I'm also happy for people to reach out to me if they would like to know more about what we do in this area.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that final one. I mean, that, that was where I was going to basically wrap things up. So you do now have your person on the ground over here, You've got an excellent website with lots of good information. What's the sort of best way to contact Fris if anybody wants to learn a bit more about you?
0: Yeah, so our website has indeed all kinds of information that we, because we very much believe to give back as well. So you can find all kinds of case studies and all kinds of insights on our websites. People can obviously reach out to me through LinkedIn. We went all in on the UK this time. We've put money behind it. We've been, we've become older and wiser. We have Martin that uh, we can maybe put in the, in a note somewhere as well, a link to his profile, but Martin in the UK working in the market for us. So yeah, these are all great ways to get connected
1: with us. Well, thank you, Jero. That was really fascinating. We covered an awful lot there, a number of different topics. Thank you for your support for Instead London and for sharing so many valuable insights. And uh, yeah, I do encourage anybody listening to take a look at what you're doing. I think you've got some fascinating things going on there
0: appreciate it matthew and good luck on your podcast and congrats on all the things that you're doing for the community
1: thank you you can get contact details for juan and his colleagues in the episode notes and of course find out everything we're up to at instec london just now Uh, we've successfully transitioned from our lively interviews on stage at our evening events to well lively interviews remotely Uh, and we're taking what we can and learning and packaging this up into reports and insights about our members and other companies that catch our eye. So if you're building the technology and analytics that driving change, or you want to know who is, and we'd like to learn more about how Instech London can help you connect with your future clients or partners, or indeed how you can tell the world what you're up to, then please do contact us at hello at London, And of course, you can find us at London.